Warning guys, this episode is very heavy, so I strongly advise you keep the kids out of the room for this one. Also, please be warned that the heartbreaking stories and experiences shared may be triggering, so please be advised. Kimberly Shannon Murphy is a award-winning stunt woman who has jumped out of buildings, guys, hung from helicopters and tackled Brad Pitt even. Her career and affinity for putting herself in painful, dangerous situations sadly actually came from the pain of her being abused starting at the age of two, where she was just a young girl crying out for help. In the first part of this two-part emotional conversation with Kim, we talk about her struggles with unhealthy relationships and family dysfunctions. We also talk about how a horrific, horrific guys, one in three women experience abuse and get trapped in cycles of endless abuse. And she shares how the hell she was able to get out of this freaking toxic abuse that actually was completely generational trauma that stemmed from such a young age. And guys, before we dive into this episode, if you want to freaking be a badass and go even deeper and impact your life even more, then guys, go check out Women of Impact subscription service on Apple Podcasts. You get to listen with zero ads and you get exclusive curated playlists on essential topics that you care about, like health, confidence, business and or relationships. So go over right now, subscribe and get your first week for utterly free at apple.co slash women of impact. Homies, that's apple.co slash women of impact. Now, let's dive into the episode. I was his victim, but I am not a victim. You have to hang on to that spark inside of you because it's there and it might be like really deep down inside of you that says like, actually, no, you're not here for that. You're here for so much bigger than that. This is a very sensitive episode, guys, where we discuss things like sexual and physical abuse. So in case you may be triggered, I just needed to warn you ahead of time. Now, let's get into the episode. You've jumped through 10-story buildings. You've had your face smashed into glass as a stunt woman. Let me just preface that. So I think of you as being a freaking badass that doesn't take shit, that knows how to hold her own, that isn't ever going to um, be pushed around. And yet in reading your book and your story, I want to start with a quote that you say, when you've been abused, it's easy to stay in unhealthy relationships. You stay because all the wrong things feel normal and comfortable to you. You tell yourself you're just lucky someone loves you. So if you don't mind taking me back to when, I guess, you know, when the early, when it really started for you. Yes. Um, The abuse started around two or three. And when it starts that early in your life, you don't know any different. And it's how I just thought life was. This is what families must do. This is how things must be. This is how we operate because you don't have anything to compare it to because it's the life that you grew up in. And both of my parents, my father, you know, was in Vietnam and he also experienced like physical abuse as a child growing up. And my mom, experienced sexual abuse. And then they got together and got married and had four children. And then their trauma just bled onto us. And I truly believe that because of their trauma, they weren't able to stand strong within themselves and be the parents that I needed them to be. And so in turn, my abuse then started happening. God, okay. 
Thank you. I know this isn't an easy conversation, so I really appreciate your transparency and vulnerability. Um, but you don't rem- you don't remember any of this until you start getting older. And so talk to me about that, because when I think through the behaviours that we have, maybe the um, unhealthy behaviours that we have by going with somebody that isn't right for us, you were cutting, you, were, you had a body dysmorphia where you were bulimic. All of these behaviours stemmed from what you've just laid out, but you didn't know that. So actually talk to me, if someone's listening right now, what are the things that they can maybe start to pay attention to, to start to process their childhood um, that they may not have realised are contributing to how they show up today? I think that when you find yourself in bad relationships and that could be with friends, spouses, partner. I mean, it's it's every relationship in your life. And when I look back on the relationships that I was having in my 20s, it's a completely different world. It's like I would take any love that I could get no matter what that love looked like. If someone said they loved me, but they were treating me in awful ways, I believe they loved me anyway. You know, now I can look back and see that. But when I was in it, it just felt like, well, this person loves me. They're telling me they love me and there's, they're hanging around me and they're with me. But yet when we're together, it's this, you know, abusive, not, you know, not communicative, loving relationship, you know? And so I think that shows up in so many ways. For me, my cutting was, was something that I did calling attention, like I needed attention. And I speak about that in the book about how being hurt on the outside for me, I think cutting is different for everybody. A lot of people do it where you can't see it. I did it on my face. And for me, it was calling out for help in ways that I wasn't feeling like I was getting it. And my parents weren't recognizing or they weren't validating the pain that I was in when I did have my memories and I did vocalize what was going on or try to vocalize what I was feeling. And then that turned into bulimia. And it wasn't even that I was bulimic because I was overweight because I've always been tiny. It was more I needed to feel control of my body and my body felt so out of control and I felt like I never had control over my body and my body didn't belong to me. So it was almost like my bulimia became me needing to purge him out of me, my abuser out of me, more than it was about calories, which later in life it turned into that. But when I first started, it wasn't about that. God, yeah, and then just thinking through what you, the, the things that had happened to you, how that really did um, codify in you what you probably thought validation looked like. Yes. So I believe your grandfather was abusing you up to four times a week for like seven years. Yes. Is that correct? Yes. Um, and he was saying that it was because you were beautiful. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, he was strangling you as well as sexually abusing you. Mm-hmm. Oh, how I'm trying to be very delicate. How on earth do you build your self-esteem back from that? Where for seven years you're being taught that, and then after that you get denied the reality of it. Yes. I needed to walk away from my family in order to really heal because I realized that it was a whole system that was allowing the abuse to happen and a whole system that was continuing the abuse. And 
our abuse wasn't continued in the way of sexual abuse. It was continued in the way of narcissism, of, of you know, um, making fun of each other, of just being unkind, of not being, you know, we, back then we didn't have words for it, which I'm so grateful to have the vocabulary now of just boundaries. I didn't even know that was a word. I mean, we called it, oh, we're just an enmeshed family. We're just enmeshed. And that's what we called it. But it was completely us having zero boundaries. And we weren't healthy within our own family system. Even after my grandfather died, it was like everything sort of exploded and even into adulthood and then into becoming a parent, which was a huge catalyst for me to really start healing is when I became a mom. And I feel like I was born with something inside of me that is sad in a way because a lot of times people will say, well, I wouldn't be where I am if this didn't happen. You know, I am who I am because this happened to me. And I used to say that a lot and I used to believe it. And now I don't feel that way anymore. I feel a lot of grief around who would I have been if this didn't happen to me? Like, what would my potential have been? Even though you can look at my life and say, oh, she's had a great career and she wrote a book and all these things, I, I still have so much pain on a daily basis. It's not something that goes away ever as I'm learning Sadly, I thought I would be able to at some point be like, I'm healed. <laughs> and it just doesn't work that way. It's a constant work in progress. And it's a constant, for me, trigger, you know, triggers and having to work on yourself and having to do the work on a daily basis. And I'm grateful for everyone who I've been able to connect with who has made me feel less crazy because for a long time, I just felt like, oh, I'm crazy. And I, I just, I know that everyone has that spark in them. It's just finding it and believing that you're better than what you were told you were. You have to hang on to that spark inside of you because it's there. And it might be like really deep down inside of you that says like, actually fucking no, you're not here for that. You're here for so much bigger than that. And I think I held on to that spark, and that's what has enabled me to do as much as I've done. Thank you for so much of your honesty. All right, I want to take some things that you just said one by one, if that's okay. Yeah. So first of all, you said how you told yourself that, well, I wouldn't be who I am today if it wasn't for that. That definitely feels like a protective mechanism. Mm -hmm. Because by looking back and say, well, what would, what, who would I be if this didn't happen? Maybe so painful for most people to look at that I actually understand why that's where you started. And I understand why a lot of people at home right now may be telling themselves that story. Yes, but who would I be? I wouldn't be able to help this person if I didn't go through it. Totally get that. But to your point, it's going to be a lifelong journey. And once you're able to embrace, I think that life, I'm not saying it's easy. By golly, Jesus, it's not. But if you're able to embrace it and unpack exactly what you just said, it was like, well, hang on a minute. I think I do have to consider what would my life have looked like if my grandfather wasn't here, if he hadn't done that to me, if my father wasn't a narcissist, because then you can unpack that. And by unpacking it to your point, you can start to heal. Mm -hmm. Now, there's other thing that you said is that you had to start distancing yourself from your family. Mm -hmm. Um, talk to me about that. Talk to me about your aunt, Pat, and then talk to me about how you had a moment where you could actually address this with your grandmother. Yes. 
Um, my Aunt Pat was an amazing human, and she was an amazing writer and always wanted to be published. And she's died a few years back, but her I use her words a lot in the book, and so I feel like I finished what she started. She was the first one to speak out about my grandfather when she was nine years old and told her mother that she was being abused or that he was touching her, doing these things to her. And it was dismissed and life went on and he went on to hurt many other people, including me, because I obviously wasn't alive then. And, you know, there were so many adults and this is the craziest part about my abuse is 90% of the time that it was happening, the house was full of adults. And my grandmother was completely aware of what he was doing and she didn't do anything about it because she had walked in multiple times. Um, she was just a horrible, talk about a narcissist, like a horrible human being. And she was very much and I talk about this in the book, as long as we look good on the outside, who cares what's happening on the inside? That's how I grew up. It was very much like, you know, as long as we have our face on, is what she always used to say, and our heels on and our dress on, no one ever tended to what was going on inside of ourselves and what was happening, what was actually happening. So they were ultra focused on the look of everything instead of the reality of everything. And so it was just swept under the carpet, which has now become as big as a city block, I would say. And as an adult, though, you had an opportunity to talk to her, right? Yes. And um, I believe the quote is, we wanted to say to her, why do you value illusion over truth? Mm -hmm. It was always interesting to me, which is why I was very vocal with my family because her line to me was always, I never not believed you. And to me, that was fascinating because I, I, and I said that I said to her in our conversation, don't you find that odd? And aren't you admitting basically your part in all of this? Because if you are telling me that you never not believed me, you're telling me that you believe that your husband was fully capable of doing the things that he did. And that was the last conversation I ever had with her because I knew that I was never going to have a real conversation with her and it was never going to go anywhere except in one big circle, which is what I felt like was starting to happen with my family members as well. I'm going to be utterly honest. There is little more damaging to your confidence than feeling weak and helpless and just struggling to get the care that you actually need from your doctor. And trust me, guys, I unfortunately speak from experience because when I was struggling with crippling, crippling gut issues about nine years ago now, it took me years, years to find a doctor that not only could I connect with, but a doctor that actually would listen, wouldn't gaslight me and actually take my words and my experience as truth so that they could actually eventually help me heal and not just to give me another freaking pill and then push me out the door. But now, my homie, you don't have to struggle to find the right doctor for you anymore. And that's thanks to ZocDoc. ZocDoc is an absolutely free app 
and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and then instantly book appointments with them online. And with ZocDoc, you can actually filter by insurance, location and specialities to find the perfect fit for you, not for your friend, not for anyone else, but for you. Plus, on top of that, you can actually go and read verified reviews from real patients to find the doctor that you can actually trust. And typically, wait times for booking an appointment are days, not weeks. Because let's face it, when you're sick, you need to see someone right now. So my homie, do not, I repeat, do not neglect your health. Instead, go over to ZocDoc dot com slash lisa and download the zocdoc app for absolutely free then find and book a top rated doctor today that's zocdoc z-o-c-d-o-c dot com slash lisa zocdoc dot com slash lisa talk to me in that moment then about cutting yourself off so like when I think about where you started from not having the voice to then saying that to your grandmother which is super freaking powerful and damn brave of you by the way so I just want to you know applaud you for that for actually saying that to her um and then being able to walk away and never have that person in your life again um did that just come at you just knew that until you could break this cycle, you weren't able to have healthy relationships or heal from it. Because this, the reason why I ask is, I know there's so many people listening right now. I have someone in my life, very specifically that I'm thinking of, that has been sexually abused. And yet they still talk to the person mm. that abused them. So for you, it was the breaking away. Talk to me about how you decided that so that if someone's listening at home, how they can actually walk away and feel good and not feel guilty. Because I'm sure that like it was a bunch of guilt behind that. Um, And then, yeah, if you don't mind starting that. Yeah. It's very common. And I've come across so many people who have been abused by their father or even mother and still have a relationship with them. Thankfully, my abuser died and I never had to deal with that. But I think it's very normal. Honestly, I think you come into this world and Dr. Matei talks about this a lot, which is like attachment versus authenticity. And you're attached to these people. These are the people that are supposed to take care of you. They're the people that you're you're born and they're it. Like you're in a house with them. They're the ones who are feeding you and and you know do, doing all the things. So I think when they treat you in such an abusive way, you get to a point where it's really hard to walk away from them. I have someone in my life like that as well who is still in relationship with her father and he's been abusive to her. And I think it's just broken her down so much that she doesn't know how to walk away. And I think that that's a very common way to feel and a very common thing to do until you actually do it. And it was a very slow process for me. It kind of happened one person at a time. When I got my book deal, my one sister just completely stopped talking to me. I haven't talked to her in three and a half years. That was her way of like hard stop. I'm not going to, I don't want this out in the world. And this is how I'm going to punish you for speaking your truth which just shows how much trauma she still has and hasn't dealt with. And then my younger sister, when I told her about the book deal, her words to me were, you're going to ruin all of the children's lives by telling this story. 
I felt like I needed everyone to tell me it was okay for me to write this book. And so I sort of went around and made all these phone calls like, you know, is everyone going to be okay with me telling my story, which I realized in retrospect was my trauma showing up just needing validation from people that I didn't need validation from. I don't need validation from anyone to tell my fucking story. I can tell my story when I want and how I want and the way I want. And this is how I wanted to do it. And it just made me realize how much trauma was still occurring in my family. And so I slowly stopped talking to kind of happened one at a time. And then my dad, I just, I chose to walk away from my father. That was my choice. My two sisters walked away from me. And then there was an, there was an event that happened where my daughter was emotionally hurt by my sisters. And that was a very big hard stop for me. (laughs) Don't mess with the mama's kids, right? No. And also just we have so much trauma in this family that no one wants to look at still. No one wants to see how it's bleeding out onto our children. And obviously none of us are sexually abusing our children, but it's coming out in other ways because that's what it does. It does not go away. And no matter how much you want to stuff it down and repress it and push it down, it will come out and you get triggered and then you're parenting from your triggers And you're not raising your child in their truth and you're not giving them the opportunity to be the person that they're meant to be because of what happened to you. I was like, no, I'm not doing that to my daughter. She's going to have the life I never had, even if it kills me. Wow. So how did you, oh God, okay, I want to pass this uh, down a little more if you don't mind. So you said, obviously, your sisters stopped talking to you. I think that that almost makes it a little easier, maybe. Um, But you said you walked away from your father and you said earlier that your dad's definitely a narcissist. So identifying these patterns, right, going back to where we started, where you ended up in a marriage with somebody who was a narcissist. So we've um, barely touched the surface, but because of your grandfather and your father, how the hell do you then find the courage to walk away from your father, um, who I believe probably plays into um, the attachment of an unhealthy relationship? Yes. My father, when he got out of the war, he started a construction business and he was a very nine to five guy, hardworking guy, blue collar guy. And I was not that kid. I was like, I want to be creative and I want to dance and I want to do gymnastics and I I don't want to be in this box that society tells me that I should be in. And he was very uncomfortable with that. So it was very made fun of, of my choices of dancing and of, you know, even even when I got into Alvin Ailey and, you know, like the best school in the United States. <laughs> it's just nothing was ever good enough until the moment he saw me on television. And then that was like, oh, look at my daughter. Look at everything that she's done. And at that time in my life, it's like, oh, he finally accepts me. I'm finally good enough for him. And now I'm in a space where I can say that was extremely abusive behavior as a father, especially now as a mother, to put my daughter down and and basically try to crush her dreams is basically what it was. And 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 I did it anyway. And despite his 
making me feel like I was making all the wrong choices. When I walked away from him, I was able to see things in such a different way that I would have never been able to see if I stayed in relationship with him. And I think also when you do stay in relationships with these people, you will never see it for for what it truly is. You never will because you're having conversations with them. You're still being dragged back. I remember um, one of my really good friends who wrote the forward for the book she said to me, you know, Kim, you, it's like you're sitting on this wall and you have one leg over and you have the other leg over on the other side and your family's tugging at your ankle and you're trying so hard to get over the wall. And she said, if you just release that, you will get over the wall and so many things will open up for you. And that's exactly what happened. So having the distance made you realize you needed the distance. Yes. And did, was there a closure? Was it like, I'm never speaking to you again, dad, or? With my father, no. I just blocked him from my phone because my dad is relentless and I knew what I needed to do finally for myself and I was no longer playing by his rules anymore. Did you have any guilt around that initially? A lot of grief, which I still have, which I didn't expect to have or I didn't expect to happen. I think when you start the journey of healing, when you truly start the journey of healing, you cannot be around toxic people. You recognize it very quickly, and it's just not something that you are able to allow in your space because you're on this healing journey and you're, you want only the best things for yourself and the best things for your family. And when that toxicity kind of starts to come in, whether that's from a friend or a friend you might have had for 20 years that now no longer kind of fits in your world anymore because their life might be coming from a toxic space and you just can't be there anymore if you want to truly be your authentic self and not be your attached self, which is something that I think a lot of people struggle with. and. I choose to be authentic to myself and it feels really good to be able to choose that and it feels really good to be able to honor that. It doesn't mean that it doesn't come with pain and grief and sadness and it doesn't mean that you're not walking away from people that you love very much as well. It's not like I hate my family. It's just that I know that they're not healthy for me, but I love them and I hold compassion for them, and I hold space for them, and I wish them nothing but healing and love and all of the positive things, but I know that they're not healthy for me. Mm. <sighs> okay, so taking all that, when I think about where you start from, because you said that um, the toxic, like you have to get like get rid of the toxic people in your life. But to your point, if you don't even realize they're toxic in the first yeah. place, because you've been groomed, I believe is the word you use, mm -hmm. to believe this is, is this is what love looks like. So how did you make that first initial like, oh, is this person toxic? Like, I'm just trying to give the tools for somebody at home yeah. right now. And I know it's very messy. So there's never going to be one interview that we can solve everything. But I'm trying to think through, and you even said, oh God, I wish I had the quote, but it's something like, you're so afraid to pull at the thread because everything's going to come loose. Like if we pull at a thread, it's going to unravel us yes. completely. And so I worry that people right now are just not pulling at the thread. How does someone start to 
uh, pull at that thread. And in fact, actually, I'm going to use another quote of yours because even in pulling at the thread, let's even just say it's therapy. You went to therapy and you had the therapist say to you, oh, honey, do you know how many women like you are shooting heroin on the street corner? You should feel proud just to be alive. So talk to me about pulling at the thread and how the hell you don't get stuck when you get hurdles like that ridiculous therapist. Yes. And that's so common. And that was so frustrating for me. And and that was a time in my life where I had no money. I was not you know, in the business yet, I was really struggling. I went to a therapist on a sliding scale. So it was what I could afford. And when she said that to me, it was my spark. It was, it was the one, it was the voice that's like really deep down. I feel like when you've had trauma, but there's this little voice that's telling you like, keep going, keep going that you need to listen to, but it's muted by your trauma. So it's very deep down in there. So I think a lot of people, it's easier for them to just sort of live the life that they're living. And it's very difficult to pull at the thread and say, no, this is not okay. And I am going to be different and I'm going to do different and I'm going to be better and do better. It's not an easy process. And it's very, it's a vulnerable thing to do to decide to go to therapy. And then you go to therapy and it's this horrible therapist. And then it's sort of like, okay, I just give up. Right. If you want something in life, and I think this goes for your emotional state too, if you really want something in life, do something every day towards it. Every day, do something that's going to help you get to the next step. Even if it's the littlest thing. Even if it's just taking a walk or starting to meditate or doing something that you've never done before, step out of your comfort zone and not do the same pattern that you've been doing that clearly you know deep down is not working for you. And it is a hard thing to do. Taking the first step can feel really impossible. And it felt really impossible to me. I got into a marriage that was a really bad marriage that if I would have stayed in, my life would be completely different than it is now. And he had said something to me about starting to start a family. And that's when I divorced him because I knew that I was not going to bring children into the world with him and that it wasn't going to be a safe space for them. And that was my hard stop for me. I think it's different for everybody. The journey is different for everybody. Some days you're going to feel like you're moving backwards and that nothing is progressing and that you're just like, fuck it, I'm just going to call my sister or like, I'm just going to, you know, just go back to the way things were before. But I never did because I knew it wasn't the right thing deep down. And my daughter was a huge part of that for me. Yeah, God, thank you for that. I think of your book as being partly that thread for people, that if people actually read it, that hopefully it would give them that encouragement to pull the thread a little and not be afraid of everything falling apart. So talk to me actually about your your ex-husband, if you don't mind, because I believe you were both, um, was he a survivor as well? So uh, talk to me about that and then what that dynamic looked like and then we'll go from there. Yes, he was a survivor and he, we met um, 
we were performing together and we met. And that's kind of what we connected on was our stories of abuse. And he was a really great person. I mean, he is a really great person, but together we were like a ticking time bomb. I mean, all of our trauma just was coming out on each other. And that's just what happens. And that's what I'm saying about the healing path and the journey of healing and getting help and, and, and trying to get to a better space because when you're in a relationship like that, I was with him for seven years and it was every day, it was a disaster, but I didn't recognize it. It just felt like this is what relationships are. My parents fought all the time. So this is just what relationships are. We slam doors, we yell at each other. We, you know, he was a drinker and so was my dad. And it just felt really familiar to me. And it just felt like home, which is really sad. And I think that's why most of us stay in these bad relationships because either we were brought up that way, this person reminds us of our dad, we're trying to fix them because we couldn't fix our dad. So we're trying to do what we couldn't do with our father, with our partner. And, and then the cycle just continues. So how did you, you obviously said about your, your kid, which this is another question I have. So I've decided not to have children. I'm not yeah. sure if you know that. Um, and so I'm always thinking so many women, that's, that's the pivot. Mm. Oh, well, it was my kid. You know, I got out of this because of my child. I did this because of my child. But us women, we don't necessarily do it for ourselves. Mm. Help me think through that. And if you didn't have your child or if your ex-husband didn't say, oh, let's start a family, what would that future have looked like? And now in hindsight, what would you do differently? I would have left him anyway. At the time, I had found a really great therapist and I was getting really great help. And she was helping me see the patterns that I was repeating in my life. And she, I think, knew probably the first day she talked to me that I needed a divorce because I went to her when I was married. And I felt like I was trying to figure things out and I don't think he liked that very much. And that's what you'll find too with toxic relationships is when you start growing, the person that's not growing and the person that's really toxic will make you feel like you're crazy. And because of that, I went on Zoloft for like two years. And I think I was on like the highest dosage or something. And I just felt like a piece of toast, like literally. <laughs> that's how I describe it because I never, I'm an emotional person. I cry a lot. I'm a crier. And I think it was comfortable for him because I didn't talk back. I didn't push back. I didn't say anything. And so when I got off the Zoloft is when I really started feeling my feelings again. And then I got a really good therapist. And she, at the end of the day, was really the reason that I left him. Like she made me see a lot of things that I wouldn't have seen if I wasn't seeing her. What were the sort of things that she was asking you to make you see those things? Just what love really looks like. And she let me sort of draw my own conclusions by the way that she asked her questions to me and made me come to the realization of where I had come from and why I was making the choices that I was making and how toxic they were for me and how I wasn't going to go anywhere but down with him in this relationship. And so ultimately, yes, him saying that about kids was kind of like the light bulb in my head. 
but she was the one who really made me see things for what they were and really made force me to be honest with myself about what I was actually doing and what relationship I was allowing in my life and allowing to have. And did she remind you then that you had that spark inside you who could change, who could do different things? Because I've met many people that think, well, it's too late. I'm too old in my life. I've made my bed and now I have to sleep in it. I've been with this person for all this time. So, so many people have a story they're telling themselves of why they're staying. Um, but it doesn't seem like you did. It seemed like you were kind of open to writing your own story as you were going along. Yes. I think that that happened very slowly, though. It's not something, right? It's not something that happens overnight. I think it's a slow process, but it's an intentional one. And it's something that you have to be intentional about and be really aware of what's going on. And there were many instances where we would be in an argument or something would be happening. And I'm in my head going, okay, this is not, this isn't safe. This doesn't feel good. I knew it didn't feel good. And the same with my sexual abuse as a child. I knew there was something inside of me that knew that it was wrong. And I think we all do when we're in abusive, whether they're relationships, whether, you know, it's sexual abuse, narcissism, whatever it is that's going on in our life. There's a part of us that knows it's not healthy. There's a part of us that knows that it's not the right thing. But I think what overrides that is that we don't think that we deserve better. And so that overrides all of it. And so then we're just kind of stagnant. And I don't think it's an actual conscious thing. I think it's a subconscious thing that we just don't believe we're good enough. And why don't we believe we're good enough? Well, because at some point in our life, we were told that we weren't good enough. And so we actually believe that. And so we'll stay in situations that hurt us because we don't actually believe we deserve better. Yeah, oh God, especially having you from the age of two girl like where you've come and to build up your your courage and your self-esteem and like a backbone I'm not even sure what like it's so freaking impressive when I think through how many people stay stuck Mm -hmm. um and then in your book you talk about just like your daily triggers where and I just I have so much empathy for people right now that may not even realize, oh, you're just constantly getting triggered all the time. And until yes. you do the deep work of going back, of eliminating these people from your life, going, you know, dealing with the trauma, um, I can only imagine that you're always going to be triggered by these daily things. And so I heard you say something like, you know, the smell of old spice. Mm-hmm. So if you don't mind talking to me about that. Yes, he always wore it. So it's a big trigger for me. And, um, the ocean is a big trigger for me because I was suffocated many times. So me feeling out of breath is very triggering for me. And, um, when those happen and you're not aware of them, we, I do a lot of IFS work. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. It's, it's, um, internal family systems, Mm -hmm. Dr. uh, Richard Schwartz. So, he believes, and I probably won't articulate this exactly, sorry, Dr. Schwartz, properly, but the way that I feel like the work is done is that he works with the parts of you that feel abandoned, grief, um, sadness, um, you know, whatever that is. He believes that you kind of get stunted in that time. So if you, so for me, I was 
at two years old, abused and, you know, almost killed. And so when I'm triggered from that space, I react as a two-year-old or I react as a seven-year-old or I react as a nine-year-old. And people can, you can feel that when you're, after it happens and you're like, whoa, what the heck? Like, where did that come from? Like, that was a way overreaction. Or you think about it in a few hours, you know, because you're so, you get yourself into such a state where you're just, you know, screaming or freaking out. But it's coming from like a child space that was never healed. So it's coming from your seven-year-old space that felt abandoned by your parents because they didn't, you know, they weren't there for you or whatever it is. And so I do a lot of that work as well. And I find that to be extremely helpful. Now I can recognize when something happens, if I'm triggered and I can take a step back and take a breath. Sometimes I can't. Sometimes I do totally get triggered. And I think that that will be the case forever. But I can now be more, recognize it more, be able to take a step back and take a breath or just go in my room, be by myself and kind of work through it and then come out and be able to deal with the situation in a different way. Mm. What, um, what do you, when you said that you're able to identify now, what is it? Is it the things that lead up to you being triggered that you can identify or is it the trigger itself when it happens? It's the trigger itself when it happens. Because I feel like it happens really fast when you're triggered. Right. And it was interesting because I, with one of my sisters, I said something like, when I talked to her about the book, and she was the one who said about me ruining everyone's life, which I actually think I'm saving everyone's life because I'm giving them (laughs) a gift of, this is why your family is what it is and why you were brought up in whatever way you were brought up in. Um, I used the word shame with her and I said to her, I don't have shame around what happened to me and I'm okay talking about it. And she like lost it on the phone and just started screaming, I'm not, I don't have shame. I don't have, and just, you know, was completely triggered by it. And I said to her, I didn't say you had shame. I said, I don't have shame. But she was so triggered by the word that in her head, she heard you feel shameful. And, you know, there's a lot of shame around abuse and we have a lot of it and hold a lot of it and sometimes don't even realize it. I don't think I realized how much shame I had around it until I started really doing the work um, myself and how much shame I felt with what happened to me. 